And that only Christ could save you. Not your own works, not your church attendance, not your baptism. Just Christ and Christ alone. And that you have put your faith and trust in Him uh, for your salvation. I hope that's been the case. And if it's not been the case, can I urge you to do that today. Make that today. Make it the decision that you make. There's no greater decision in your life that you'll ever make. You don't have to do anything to go to hell, but you have to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to go to heaven. And you must do it. And if you don't, if you say, well, I'm just going to wait till I get there and see, it'll be too late. It'll be too late. Uh, you need to make sure that you make that decision and that choice today. And uh, I want to encourage you in that. Those of you that are saved today, uh, we can sing songs like that and our hearts swell up. We thank the Lord for His goodness and saving us. And uh, it certainly serves to encourage us along the way. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, turn to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to look at three different passages uh, before we actually get to our text. And um, they, are, they are parallel passages. That's why we're going to look at all three of them, because each of them expresses things slightly uh, in a different way, but yet the same account. Uh, Matthew chapter 22. Let's look in verse number 32. Matthew chapter 22, and beginning in verse... Number 32, Jesus is speaking here, and He says, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at His doctrine. But when the Pharisees had heard that He put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked Him a question, tempting Him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now let's turn over to Mark chapter number 12. Mark chapter 12. And Mark gives his account. Mark chapter 12, and we'll begin reading in verse number 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which, of the, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, there is none other commandment greater than these. And then let's finally look over to Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter number 10. And uh, we'll begin in verse number 25. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 25. <clears throat> and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
And likewise, the Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee, which now of these three thinkest thou was the was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning and speak to our hearts. May we learn some things that will encourage and strengthen us for the labor and the work that you've given us to do. And Father, my heart's desire is that if there's someone here in this room today that has never trusted you as their Savior, they don't know if they were to die right now, that they would be assured a home in heaven for all of eternity. They hope maybe they're expecting the fact that they've lived a good life or maybe they've gone to church, maybe they've tried to treat people well. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand that our good works are not going to get us there, but only by your mercy, only by putting our faith and our trust in you. So, Father, I pray that you'll speak to hearts and encourage us through the preaching and the teaching of your word. For those that are saved here, may we uh, be encouraged and, uh, Lord, challenged and charged by this passage. Uh, Look into our own hearts and see uh, how how we're doing with this thing of serving and reaching people with the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was listening to a preacher this week, and he uh, he travels the country, and he uh, occasionally, he doesn't do this often, but occasionally he'll go into a church and usually speak with the young people, especially if they have a Christian school or, or a large youth group, and he'll come in uh, unknown to the teenagers, and uh, he'll pretend that he is an atheist, that he used to be a Christian, and that he studied science and other things, and it caused him to become an atheist. And he'll lay out his case uh, to the young people, and um, and then let them try to defend their faith to him. And unbeknownst to them, he's truly a Christian, but he's he's letting them believe that he's an atheist until the end, where he finally reveals to them that he is a Christian, and he's done this to try to see how they would do at defending their faith. With an atheist, he was in one such uh, location in a large, large youth group, a large church. And uh, as he's going through and he's answering questions and he's defending his arguments as an atheist uh, from an atheistic point of view, uh, a young lady stood up in the back with a question, and she pulled the passage of scripture that says in Proverbs, "The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God." And she quoted that to him, and he said, "So are you calling me a fool?" And she said, yes, I am, according to the Bible. And, boy, everybody in the youth group started cheering, and, boy, way to go. You did a great job. And um, we got, they got to the end of the message, at the end of the, the, the time, and he finally uh, revealed, he said, listen, I'm, I'm here by the invitation of your pastor, your youth pastor. And he said, I do this from time to time. But he said, I am a Christian. I, I do believe uh, in everything. He said, if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be here. Uh, but he said, I oftentimes come in acting as an atheist to try to see how young people especially can give a defense of their what they believe, why they believe what they believe. And uh, they were all excited about that, and they all came forward and shook his hands. And the young lady waited till the very last. 
And after everybody had left the room, she came up to him and she shook his hand and she said, I want to thank you for coming and giving the point of view of the atheist. And, she, and uh, he said, well, you're welcome. She said, the reason I'm thanking you for that is because I'm an atheist. And he said, I'm a little confused here. He said, Aren't you, don't you go to church here? She said, yes. In fact, I'm the leader of the youth group here. She said, I was been raised in this church all my life. My parents are well known in the church, leaders in the church. She said, several years ago, uh, I began to question some things in Scripture. And nobody would answer my questions. They just said, you just need to trust it. Can I tell you, by the way, in the middle of this story, we need to make sure that we understand Scripture. And if we don't, we need to study it. We need to talk to people and get a firm grasp on it. This young lady, in, a, in some of the most formative years of her life, went to some people that should have known better and asked them to explain things and to try to help her with some of the questions that she had asked. She said, no one would answer them to me. And he said, have you told anybody that you're an atheist? And she said, no, you're the only one I've ever told. And he was puzzled by that. He said, well, why? You're here in a church. You've got godly parents that love you. You've got a pastor here. You've got a youth pastor here. This was her response. She said, I'm afraid they will treat me the way they just treated you. This pastor left that meeting that day realizing that as Christians, while we must hate the sin that is in this world, somehow we've got to learn to differentiate between the sin and the sinner. Somehow we've got to learn to have a compassion for those that are lost. We tend to get in a place where we think that because we are so strong and defensive in what is right and we're so strong against sin that that, that, that same strength has to be portrayed to the people, the very people that are in need of the gospel message. And while, yes, they need to know that sin is sinful, and yes, they need to understand their lost condition, there is a difference between the message and the method that is used in delivering it. The Bible tells us that Jesus came in grace and truth. And while He had truth on, uh, on His lips, and while He came to preach the gospel, the Bible teaches about His graciousness in delivering these things. He would get to the point, but there was never a time when He was trying to reach the heart of a person that they did not see His heart for them. That they did not see the compassion that He had for them. There were times he had to rebuke people that were trying to justify themselves and trying to uh, foul him up and trip him up in the things that he was saying. But when he was trying to reach the heart of a person, you can check it out in Scripture, you'll see his graciousness in dealing with them. As we come to this passage, I've read it many, many times, and I'm always astounded at how God, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, so vividly portrays truth in these parables and lays them alongside the lesson that He's trying to teach. And these folks trying to trip Him up, they said, uh, which one of the laws is the greatest? And they're trying to get Him to have a preference of one over the other. And then to try to, <clears throat> to debate with Him. And their purpose, I think, was to 
to try to uh, get him to say one thing and then to bring up another law and say, but boy, isn't this one uh, greater? And if you don't have this one, isn't that? And they were going to try to, to, to trip him up. And the purpose in all three of these places where they were trying to, to, to get him to stumble in his teaching. And he comes out and he tells them, he says, the greatest commandment of Scripture is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And then he said, the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he gives this parable. The parable of what we call the Good Samaritan. Now, to give a little bit of background to this, it's very important for us to understand, we talked a little bit on it in Sunday school today, that the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along well. They were... The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were cross-bred between Jews and some Gentiles. And uh, the, the Jewish people would look down at the Samaritans as a, uh, as a, a class beneath them. Uh, they looked at them as, as uh, trash, and they, they uh, had great, great prejudice against them. And, and here this Jewish man is on his way on a journey, and he falls among thieves, and he's beaten to the point where uh, he, uh, the Bible says in verse number 30, that they departed, the thieves departed, leaving him half dead. And uh, there are three men that come along. Uh, the first one that stops by is, is a priest, uh, a religious leader of the day, one that uh, would serve in the temple uh, practices of the day and to offer atonement and to teach the people uh, the things of God. And notice as we get to verse number 31, the Bible says, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. There's, there's, no, uh, there's no pause. There is no thought given. There is a, a, a just maybe a, a, an interest of his gaze in, in seeing this, this thing on the side of the road. But not having time and not wanting to be bothered with this Samaritan. I mean, uh, this is a Samaritan. If it was a Jew, maybe, maybe he would have stopped. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But we certainly know that because he was a Samaritan, this priest didn't want to have anything to do with him. Because he was beaten and he's left for half dead, he didn't want to have anything to do with him. And the Bible says that when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, I don't know if he had to go to the other side to get around him, but the, suffice to say, he certainly did not make any movement toward him. He just passed him by. Can't be bothered with it. I'm sure that priest had important things to do. I'm sure that priest uh, was, was sincere. I believe he was fervent. I believe he was faithful in his duties at the temple. He probably was a great priest in uh, uh, preaching and teaching the people. He was probably a great priest in doing the duties of the ministry. We don't know much about him other than he was a priest. But, but there's not a whole lot said about him other than the fact that he did not have the time or the, the, or the wherewithal to stop and to try to see if he could help this man in some way. There was an interest there. Maybe even there was a curiosity as he passed by because the Bible does say he did see him. But when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then there's a second man that comes along. Notice what it says here as we get to verse number 32. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came, and I notice uh, this is a little bit different than the first one. Notice what it says here. It says, came and looked on him. Now, this, this phrase is a little bit different, and I, in my mind's eye, when I read that passage, it, it sounds to me like it might have even caused him to pause. There was, there was a concerted effort to put, put his gaze on this man. 
It wasn't just a casual glance, but he looked upon this guy. He might have even paused or slowed his gait down as he went by. And, and I think maybe because of this phrase, we could say this man may have had even some concern for the fellow. Perhaps there was some kind of, uh, maybe some sorrow in his heart, maybe feeling sorry for the guy. Maybe looking at him and saying, boy, I'll tell you, that, that guy's in rough shape. And, and I, I believe that there's enough in this passage to at least give us the idea that the man took pause of some sort. That there was a little bit more of a, an interest given to the man than what the priest had. But I want you to notice that even though this man may have had some kind of sympathy or maybe had had some kind of concern for him, at least enough for him to have put his gaze upon him, I want you to notice that also the Bible says, and he passed by on the other side. And then we get to the third person, verse number 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. If you have a pen and you underline things in your Bible, I would underline that phrase, came where he was. He, he, he didn't go around. He didn't make sure he went to the other side of the street. He came where he was, and when he saw him, I want you to notice this phrase. It says he had what? Compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast. man didn't even have his beast with him. He set him on his own beast. He was willing to sacrifice that which he had to help somebody that despised him, somebody that hated him, somebody that, to be real honest with you, you'd look at and you'd say, boy, if I, if I try to help this guy, I'm going to get blood and maybe some mud and dirt all over me. I'm going to, it's going to cost me my time. I'm going to not have to ride my, my beast to the, where I'm going. I'm going to have to give it up for him. It's going to cost me some things. And he says, he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Notice after he did the wound healing and he poured the oil and the wine in, he didn't just leave him where he was. He brought him along. He brought him to a place where he could get further help. He got him to the inn and the Bible says, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave to them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. And he made sure that the man's future care was taken care of. Jesus asked this, this man, he said, what, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And of course the obvious answer is the third one. Why? I believe the difference was because the Bible says that when this man went to him and saw him, that he was moved with compassion. He had compassion on him. And I've given an awful lot of thought to that. When I think back to the things that Jesus just told the man, He said, The greatest commandments are these. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That deals with the man's love. For the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
And you know what Jesus did to illustrate the love for the neighbor? He used the illustration of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And there's something that I find here between those two commandments that God gave, and that is this, that the love of our heart will dictate the labor of our hands. The things that we love the most will dictate the things that we do the most. I look at the priest. He loved, he loved his status. He loved the affluence. He loved the idea that he was above others. And it certainly affected the labor of his hands, didn't it? He couldn't be bothered. The Levite, once again, in turn, I don't know what all the things that he loved was, but certainly he was not moved with compassion on the man. And once again, the things that he loved must have obviously affected the labor of his hands. But then here comes a Samaritan. And he looks on the man and he has compassion for the man. The Bible says that he went to him and he bound up his wounds. I'm sure that it was a messy job. There was probably blood if he was half dead. I'm sure there was mud and, and things that had been mixed around on the ground where he was laying. I'm sure it was not a pleasant thing. We have no idea how long this man had been laying there. I don't know if he was stinking by now. If there were flies infesting the wounds, I, we don't know. But I will say this, it was not certainly a pleasant thing for the man to do. And especially for someone that hated him. We often say, well, you know, that, those people, they're so anti-God and I, I just can't stand people like that. But wait a minute. I can't stand their attitude, but I better love people like that. I better have compassion on them and desire to do something to help reach them. I don't just walk away and say, well, I'm not going to waste my time with them because of the way they are. They're not the way they should be. They're dirty. They're, they're filthy. they got problems of their own. And it's going to, oh, it's, Pastor, you just don't understand. It's going to cost me a lot. It's going to take some of my time. It's going to take some of my resources. And, and, and it's going to be so inconvenient for me. It's not something I enjoy. But the man is sitting there, half dead. And if someone with compassion does not do something for him, more than likely this man is going to die. And by the way, there's a lost world out there. There's a bunch of these young ladies that are in these youth groups like this. There are a bunch of young men around. There's a bunch of old ladies and old men like this around that are doubting things and questioning things. They're hurting. And if no one reaches them, they're going to die. And they're going to go to hell for an eternity. All for a lack of compassion. In 1912, there was a Scottish preacher. His name was John Harper. He, had a, he was a widower and he had a little six-year-old daughter. The great Moody Church in Chicago had called him to come and uh, candidate to be their new pastor. And he was bringing all of his livelihood with him, all of his goods with him, and decided that he was more than likely going to take the church and they, were going to, they pretty well were certain that they, he was going to be the new pastor there at Moody Church. As they traveled across on the ocean liner, uh, it, it was known as the Titanic. 
and he, of course, hit an iceberg. It was just a few short minutes, about 20-some minutes from the time that they spotted the iceberg until the, the ship had submerged. John Harper put his daughter and uh, his niece on a lifeboat, and then he went back onto the deck. And eyewitness accounts of those that survived said he went running around saying, Women, children, and unsaved into the rafts. As he went around the deck, he began to preach, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And over and over again, he began to shout it. And he would ask people, he would say, Are you certain of your salvation? One man came up to him, an atheist, and criticized him, began to get mad at him and upset at him. And John Harper took his life preserver off and gave it to the man and said, You need this more than I do. He said, Because I'm not going down, I'm going up. As the ship began to submerge, John Harper jumped into the water and he began to swim as best he could in that icy water with just minutes left. The hypothermia coming across him. He was shouting out and he was reaching out to some people and he helped at least two folks that we know of into life rafts. He would go around and help them to get on to, to floating debris and he would shout out to them. Do you know that you're saved? And one such man who came close enough to him by one of the waves said, No, I'm not certain that I'm saved. And he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And the wave swept the man away. A few moments later, the wave brought him back to him. And he said, Are you saved yet? And the man said, No, not yet. And once again, John Harper said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Twelve people were pulled from the water that night that survived. Or six of them of the twelve that were pulled that were still alive that survived. Several months later, about three months later, at another meeting here in the United States, a testimony time was given of the Titanic survivors. They had all met together. This man stood up. And he indicated the account that I just told you about of John Harper coming near to him in the waves. He said after the second time that he had had John Harper come and say, Believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. He said, I watched as John Harper lost his battle with hypothermia and slipped beneath the waters. He said, as far as I know, he said, I am the last convert of John Harper. He said, there in those icy waters just before I was pulled with miles of water beneath me, I trusted Christ as my Savior. John Harper could have saved himself. Being a widower and with a small child, they were allowing some of those men to get on the life rafts, lifeboats. He refused because he was concerned for those that were lost. We would have to say, as we look back at that story, and say he had compassion. It reminds me of another story. Several thousand years ago, there was a king who had one son. And there were some people that were his subjects that had rebelled against him, denied him. 
were rebellious towards him. They had gotten into some trouble. And the only way that they were going to be able to be delivered from that trouble was if he were to offer his son as a sacrifice. And of course, the, the stories of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son for a people that hated Him, that had rebelled against Him, people that denied Him. I'll be real frank with you. I don't understand why God loved me. I'm thankful He did. Romans tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we had cleaned our lives up. He didn't wait till we could live the way that pleased Him. He died for us while we were sinners. And while there are wonderful illustrations of history that could show us the self-sacrifice of people who were concerned and compassionate towards those that are lost, I believe there is no greater one than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friend. And I would say this, that when we look around our world today, and we see people that are living lives that we would look at and say that is a vile, wicked, ungodly life. Can I tell you, they need the gospel. And somewhere along the line, there's got to be someone with compassion enough to go to them. And I'm not saying we've got to condone their sin, but we need to have compassion on them. We need to be caring for their soul. We need to look at them as one that Satan has brought near to death. That if we don't intervene, if we don't do something to heal the wounds, if we don't bring them to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will die and go to hell. Wonderful, wonderful passage of truth that Christ spoke here to those that were listening. He said, yes, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But he said, you know, along with that, second to it, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And may I say this, that the love of our hearts will always dictate the labor of our hands. We want to wonder why maybe our labor for the Lord is not what it should be? Could it, could it possibly be that our love for the Lord is not what it should be? Could it be that when we look at this broken soul that God loves so much that He was willing to sacrifice His Son for, and we don't even have the time to go and share the gospel with Him? How can we say that we love our God? if we do not love the people that He loves. I know there are times in the day that we live where people are out there and they're shysters. I know that they're fake sometimes and they're out here to con people. But don't let that become... Don't let that cause us to become so cynical that we lose our compassion for those that are lost. We must seek for the opportunities. We must ask for the Holy Spirit to guide and to direct. And then we must do something. 
And sometimes what they need most is someone to put an arm around them and say, I care. So that they can at least get to the place where you can share the gospel with them. There are so many people that are broken and hurting. I've, in the last year or so, I've had more people come to me broken and hurt, sorrowful, going through things that I don't understand sometimes how even they can make it through with the fact that they don't know Christ as their Savior. And I don't understand how a lost person can go through some of the things that some of these folks have gone through. And I'll be real frank with you, there's sometimes that I'm tempted to say, well, you've made this, you've made this mess of your life. You kind of deserve what you're getting. But the truth of the matter is, I certainly didn't get what I was deserving when the Lord Jesus Christ saved me. Now, the greatest example that I could ever give you beyond John Harper or any other story I could give you, I would point you to the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us when we were unlovable, who loved us when we were sinners, who loved us when we were rebellious to Him. He sent His own Son to die in our place so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be saved, so that we could be forgiven, so that He could create in us a new life. Folks, I want to submit to you tonight, this afternoon, that there are a whole world of people out here. And if we're not careful... We will do like this youth group did when this man came to talk to them about his atheistic beliefs. They'll begin to cheer on the Christian for calling him a fool instead of reaching out to him and saying, what can I do to talk with you and help you with these things? You say, well, how do I deal with an atheist? Give him Scripture. They don't need to hear the fool has said in his heart there is no God. They need to hear that Jesus loves them and died for them. They need to hear that they're lost and undone and need to trust Christ as their Savior. And they need to hear it from a person that whether it's with a tear streaming down their face or at least in their voice, they can hear the compassion that that soul has for them. The burden that they have for them to trust Him as Savior You and I know that it's very difficult for somebody who's not genuine to to pass that by over us without us realizing they're not being genuine with us. Can I tell you, the lost world does too. When we share the gospel, they need to see a broken heart. They need to see someone who is moved with compassion for them, who loves them, who cares for them. We're living in a world that just quickly rushing towards the eternity in hell. They have no desire for the things of the Lord. And in a large part, I think because of our treatment of the person, we have made the problem worse. Yes, we stand against sin. We stand for righteousness and holiness. We'll preach hard on those things. But we would not get confused and start feeling the same way towards the people. We need to have compassion on them. We need to reach out to them, meet their needs, bind up their wounds, 
Take them to the end. Help them to get help. Sometimes that may mean dealing with physical things that they need. Sometimes it may mean dealing with some of the, the needs that they have in their life before they'll ever get to a point where they can even listen to the gospel message. And you say, well, Pastor, that takes too much of my time. That takes too much of my energy. It takes too much of my resources. That's a messy job to do. It's, it's not a fun thing to do. But it is a needful thing. Those people need Christ. They need to be bound up. They need to be healed. And sometimes it may take things that are going to cost us something. It may take our time. It may take our resources. You say, well, they're, 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 just, they're common people. They're getting all kinds of stuff from all kinds of people. Then show them you care. Show them you care. Do something genuine with them. Instead of just walking up to them and saying, hey, I'm so-and-so from Keith Heights Baptist Church. Love to have you come visit us sometime. Find out maybe a need they have and then say, well, here's five bucks if it'll help. Instead of doing that, say, look, why don't we go get a cup of coffee and you can talk to me about these things. Let's, let's go meet together. Let's, let's, let's have some time where we can sit and discuss these things. I'll come over on such and such a day and we'll sit down at your kitchen table. And I'll try to answer some questions for you and help you through some of the problems you're having with life. You say, well, Pastor, that takes a huge investment. Yes, it does. But we need to reach people. And there are so many out there that are hurting. There's so many that won't darken the door of this church. They won't come here. I Just this week, uh, God brought a person into my life that's been so hurt in the past by a church. He said, I've not been in church since. And my heart broke. It broke for you. And, uh, folks, we need to be concerned. We need to be compassionate and reach out to people and help them come back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Help them understand the gospel message and help them get to the place where they make the decision and the choice to trust Christ as their Savior. And if they choose not to, may it not be because we have not done our part. That we have done everything we could to reach them. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. You've taught Your disciples well and certainly have given a, a point, pointed parable that illustrates the message so vividly. I pray that You would help us. Lord, when I heard that story this week of the young girl who was an atheist growing up in a church, being the leader